G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be discussing the work of a wonderful organisation called Operation Mobilisation and it's one of those ministries in the world that has huge ships uh, that visit nations around the world and they take the ministry of the gospel. You've probably heard some amazing things about OM Ships, and there's a, uh, a fellow organization called Mercy Ships, and sometimes I get my wires crossed as to what one does what, uh, but uh, there are hospital ships and there are ships that take wonderful teams of ministry and uh, large resources of literature into places around the world that don't easily have access uh, to tremendous Christian resources. Well, I'm, I'm understanding uh, today that the OM M ship uh, that we'll be talking about today has just left Kingston, Jamaica. So if you cast your mind and your imagination to what it might be like uh, for a ship sailing in the Caribbean uh, from Kingston, Jamaica, on their way to Montego Bay. Got a sort of romanticism about that, hasn't it? It's exciting, it's amazing, and to think that you could join a team and be a part of this sort of mission endeavour. Well, I want to make a special welcome today, our two guests in the studio with us through this coming hour, John and Holly Crow. John is the Director of Communications and Marketing for OM Ships International, based in in South Carolina in the US. So uh, to you, John, uh, first of all, welcome along. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Neil. It's a real pleasure and joy to be uh, back on air with you again. We were here a few years ago and had the privilege, so okay. it's uh, nice and, to And Holly, welcome to you. Yes, thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Uh, now, let's uh, clear the air a little bit on this because uh, I've been talking about hospital ships and uh, maybe my wires crossed so far as uh, another wonderful ministry outfit called Mercy Ships. Uh, and OM has uh, a fleet of ships or has had a fleet of ships uh, over the last 60 years. How do you describe the ministry and compared to uh, the other ship ministries that are going on around the world, John? Sure. Well, I think often when we pull into port, what we're uh, well known for and what we kind of uh, market ourselves ourselves as unofficially is the world's largest floating book fair. And so each of our four ships have always had a basically a bookstore on board. And we bring in uh, quality educational and Christian literature and the way that we're able to source those in different uh, countries, it means that we can offer those at just a fraction of their real retail pricing. And, and of course, books, you know, here in Australia, uh, where we're in the U.S. and many other countries, it's very easy to get your hands on good books. You can even jump online and have it on your doorstep the next day. Uh, but in many of these developing nations around the world, books are like gold and especially good quality uh, educational Christian literature, Bibles in particular, always the bestseller on the ship. And so people just flock to the ship. And as was mentioned, we were just in Kingston, Jamaica for a few weeks. And, and actually, Holly was there on board, so she can maybe share a little bit of her experience. But we'll just have thousands of people waiting out in the hot sun or in the pouring rain at times uh, just for that chance to come aboard and, and get their hands on some, some good books. 
So, Holly, let us in on what it's like. Uh, places like Kingston, Jamaica, and uh, mentioned that the ship is sailing on its way to Montego Bay in the Caribbean. Uh, what's it like when you're on board? Yeah, actually, it's a great opportunity that the ship offers is that you can actually bring teams from your churches and come on board and serve on on board alongside the crew and the members there, be involved in the ministry that's going on, be involved in the book fair and um, meeting the local people. And so I took a team from my church in South Carolina, and we were in Kingston, Jamaica. And a lot of times when you think of the Caribbean, you think, oh, very glamorous or very, you know, vacation, holiday um, destination. But actually, the port that we were in is a very poor country with um, quite a lot of crime as well. And so... Um, you know, there's there's really a, a need to hear the gospel in these places. And and the goal of the ship is really to serve the communities that were there in with whatever they might need. And so we're not there on vacation. We're really there trying to serve the Lord and to bring the gospel to these places. Well, I'm glad you've raised that because uh, there is a romanticized image about so many of the ports that you might mention. And, uh, you know, and people will be thinking of all sorts of things. Uh, I mean, when I'm thinking of the Caribbean, uh, we're talking uh, pirates. Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. too, and Johnny Depp, and uh, so. But as you say, there is a real need for the message of the gospel, and for ministry, and for good literature to come into these ports, and for oftentimes the first time ever, people have access to that sort of literature that they may not have been able to have access before. And you get uh, many times hundreds, even thousands of people a day coming onto the ships, John. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, something just to paint the bigger picture of the ministry, too, of course, books is a big part of what we do. Uh, but we like to explain the ministry by saying that we bring knowledge, help, and hope. And so knowledge, of course, is the books and, and the knowledge contained on those pages. And then alongside with that, too, we have uh, different events and um training programs taking place on the ship. Sometimes we'll have, you know, a pastor's conference trying to bring all the pastors from that port together uh, to encourage them and what they're doing, to give them new tools and resources to uh, to develop their churches and their outreach and their ministry. Uh, basic things like hygiene training in some cases or uh, HIV and AIDS, trying to break through some of the misconceptions around that. So we try and tailor uh, that piece of the ministry uh, to what's needed in each port. And then also we have what we call our help uh, ministry, and that's mostly teams going off the ship into the local port and trying to uh, bring practical, compassionate help. Again, whatever that might look like, what the need may be in the port context. Uh, so that can be anything from simple building projects to uh, something we called eyeglass ministry, where basically we do real simple eye tests. And uh, through that, we're able to help people, um, particularly with reading glasses. We don't do prescription glasses, but just different strengths of reading glasses. And uh, research so shows it's a huge percentage of eyesight challenges can be corrected just with simple reading glasses. Uh, so we're able to distribute those at no cost to the, the people we're serving. Uh, we do water filtration projects, a real little, about the size of a can of Coke or something, a little filter that you just plug in line into a bucket and get, you know, thousands and thousands of liters of, of fresh water in situations where that might not be possible. And then, of course, hope is really the the core of all we do as a Christian mission outreach. Uh, that's really what we're about and what we're trying to to share the hope that we have in Jesus with those that we minister to and serve. And so that's through the books, through the help, and just through conversations and doing life together um, in whatever context that looks like. We'll pick up on a number of those mm -hmm. uh, issues that you're raising, the sorts of things that go on when uh, when one of the OM ships uh, visits a port. But uh, let's come back to the books again for mm -hmm. a moment because I imagine that uh, people will oftentimes uh, speak different languages. Uh, 
how do you deal with the language issue and the literature that's available? Because, uh, you know, a big book fair comes to town. Uh, there's still a need for books in, in the, the native language that's of people. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, the majority of our books are English because that's, you know, we resource those from, from the United States, from the UK. And uh, so a lot of it is in the English language. But of course, in many countries we visit, uh, there are other languages. Uh, maybe the primary language is something different. And so as much as possible, we do try to, to find books in the local language. Uh, in some contexts, that's pretty easy and others very challenging. Uh, sometimes we've even had to have, you know, local language content printed, I think, back to our time in India. And I think we had a a lot of gospel content that had to be printed locally in India for, for that visit and things like that. So we definitely try to provide it in the local language, in the heart language, as we say, so that people can, can read uh, what they're used to reading. Before we go another step further, uh, John, I've got to say, uh, while everyone's hearing your American accent, you're actually an Aussie. I am. Uh, tell me about your, uh, your Aussie sure. uh, upbringing. <laughs> well, it's uh, fairly limited. Mom and dad are Aussies, and uh, I was actually born and raised in Ivory Coast in West Africa. So they were missionaries with WEC International and uh, did 30 years out there uh, in church planning and then kind of doing business administration for the mission group uh, in the country. So that was my childhood. Uh, went to boarding school out there, grew up that way. Uh, so I, I really say I've only lived in Australia probably five years of my life. Um, every five years while we're on, in Africa, we came back for a year of, of furlough and home assignment. And then it was about three years after I got to the end of uh, high school that I lived here in Australia and uh, studied graphic design and started working in the publishing industry. And then uh, the Lord called me myself into mission work uh, through a, a missions conference up on Mount Tambourine, uh, where Patrick Johnson, the author of Operation World, was sharing about the need for young people to step into missions. And that really kind of grabbed me because my impression of missionaries were my parents and their peers, which were a little bit older than me. And so I didn't really see it as something that I would do myself. But uh, the Lord spoke to me through that uh, weekend. So technically you're African. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a joke. Uh, in the U.S., I sometimes play the card. Well, maybe I should be African American, you know, and see yeah. what yeah. <laughs> that would get for me. But uh, no, a bit confused, a bit of a global nomad, really. But uh, but you make a really wonderful point when you talk about the perception that we have of what missionaries do of missions and. Uh, for those of us who might have had missionary parents or missionary family members, usually an older generation, and we think, well, as a younger generation, where do I fit into the picture? And do I have to have a wonderful burning bush experience? Or do I have to be knocked off uh, uh, like the Apostle Paul, uh, who uh, you know had an experience on the Damascus Road? What is it that actually captures a heart, the heart of a young person, and says, do you know what, I have a career career in mission ahead of me. How does that sort of work for young people? And you must get into a lot of encouragement of young people, John. Definitely. And, and OM, Operation Mobilization, uh, is represented by OM Australia here in the Australian context. And so they're based out of an office down near Melbourne. And yeah, we're looking for, for all kinds of people, people uh, with, with skills and a career behind them, people who are just starting out, maybe not sure what life looks like yet. And I think the ship in particular is a great place for young people. I remember back when I joined, I was 19, and as I said, I'd studied graphic design, but I got on the ship, and I, I spent a year in what we call the deck department, and so that's the running of the ship, uh, navigating, uh, chipping rust and painting, I mean, just upkeep of the ship, security, all these things, and I knew nothing about that when I joined, but as part of our program, you get on-the-job training, and, and for many, that's opened up a, a career path down the line as well. Uh, but of course, there are also very specific needs within the ship ministry and uh, the work of OM in 
I think, over 110 countries around the world uh, doing mission work. So a lot of uh, just practical skills needed, real skills as I you know, work in communications, marketing, that sort of thing. We have IT needs. We need audiovisual technicians. Of course, with a ship, we need you know, deck and engine officers with the qualifications. Our, our crew, you know, our captain and engineers and all these uh, formal crew members have to have the right qualifications to sail and to keep the ship meeting the maritime uh, requirements and things like that. So there's really – the opportunities are endless, really, and it's just a willing heart and hands to come and serve with us. And Holly, sometimes you think of missionaries as uh, you know, going off to some very remote location and living in a grass hut and uh, a lot of hardships that might go along with all of that. But being on a ship, I imagine it's great for young men and young women too, uh, opportunities in mission that you perhaps haven't even considered before for listeners today. That's absolutely right. And I think that's one of the things I love so much about the ship's ministry is that you are exposed to so many types of ministry. Ministry, um, in such a short period of time. So the majority of people who join come for two years. And during that two years, not only will you get to try lots of different jobs on board the ship, because we are essentially helping to run the ship. Um, for example, my first um, six months, I was cleaning toilets. Um, my second um, six months, I was working in the events program area where people are coming on board. And so is organizing events and aligning speakers and, you know, lining up different things. So I got to try some very different skills. And then for my last time on board, I got to um, work in in an office environment. And so it's just, you know, you're exposed to a lot. But as well, the ministry that happens on shore, you'll go on teams and maybe you'll do work in a jail. Maybe you'll do work in an orphanage. Maybe you'll bring water to a village that doesn't have clean water. Um, Maybe you'll be helping to, um, if there's been some catastrophe in that country, maybe you're helping with really practical aid and um, bringing food. So just whatever the needs are of the country um, is what we try to do. But we're exposed to so many different opportunities. And that's one of my favorite things that I think OM ships can bring for young people. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guests this hour, John and Holly Crow. John's the Director of Communications and Marketing for OM Ships International. OM stands for Operation Mobilization. OM Ships operates the Logos Hope, which is on its way right now from Kingston, Jamaica to Montego Bay. And uh, we're talking about the wonderful work of OM Ships. You can be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Bianca is in Tasmania. Hello, Bianca. Welcome along. Hello. Hi, Bianca. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, my name, yeah, my husband and I volunteered with um, the Logos Hope um, a couple of years ago. So I went on as a teacher. My husband went on and to work in the engine department. And we just found it an amazing experience. It's amazing to be able to see what God does through the ship's ministry, to be part of that bringing knowledge, help and hope to the nations of the world. Bianca, how long were you and your husband on board? Um, we were volunteering with OM for about 15 months. Okay. And that's fairly typical, uh, John. And I think uh, you mentioned, Holly, around about two years often people are staying. Yep. So, uh, John, your thoughts uh, for Bianca? Yeah, wonderful 
hear your voice, Bianca, and uh, thank you for your service with us. And wonderful that it was such a great experience for you and your husband. And yeah, I think the the majority of our staff do come for two years. That's what we encourage. We we also have a one year track. Uh, and, yeah. and often people join for one year, of course, as you know, and then they actually find that they're enjoying themselves so much they, they want to do another year. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good point to make, too, that everyone comes uh, to fill a role to keep the ship operating. We aren't crewed by you know a, a separate crew that makes it all happen. We, we are the crew, uh, those living yeah. on board, and, and we each chip in to, to pull it off. And, and as Bianca, as you know, it's a lot of hard work. It's uh, five days Definitely. at least of <laughs> solid work. Um, so there's a lot of going on on any given day. But then, of course, around that is uh, all those opportunities for the ministry, too. And I don't know, Bianca, maybe you could share a little bit what it's like being a teacher on board, as I understood you to say. We do have some families, and there's a few kids, and so we actually have a school on the ship. And I guess you were a part of that to, to help provide that piece of the puzzle. Yeah, so the school's actually for the um, families that live on board, not for the kids that we meet in the ports that we visit. And so there's around about 20 to 30 kids that are in that school. And we run a British curriculum and just worked with the kids where they're at. And yeah, some of them don't speak English as a first language. So we speak um, English as the main language on the ship. So that was an interesting dimension to teaching. But yeah, it's really exciting to work with these kids and kind of see their faith grow as they kind of be able to experience God in in, in the real world. Mm. Uh, let me ask Holly, uh, is there, what's the sort of percentage uh, when families on board? Because sometimes we think of uh, mission endeavor and it's something you do when you're single. Uh, maybe you meet the love of your life when you're serving, maybe involved in uh, missionary activity. But, but families who are there and uh, they've said, we're going to start up tent pegs. We're going to actually go and live on a ship for a, a year or two. Uh, is this a regular, is this something that's normal? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's great that you asked us because we've actually done it both ways. I mean, the Lord called John to join the ship's ministry when he was single. The Lord called me to join the ship's ministry when I was single, and we did meet on board. And so then you have to wait a a year before you can start a relationship. You have to get special permission, and you have to be approved from your home home countries before you can um, begin to have a relationship. And so we did meet on board, and after our two years on board, we got married. So then we went back to kind of a normal life for about seven years. John was working in San Diego, California, and we had three sons. Um, and so we we always felt called into missions, and we knew we planned to return. And the ship um, Logos 2 at that time came to San Diego when we were living there, and we saw it again, and we're like, this is just such an incredible ministry. And we really felt the Lord say, I want you to go back again, and this time you're going as a family. And we're like, oh, no, <laughs> because to go as a single, you know, it's just you. But to go as a family, it's for the well-being now of five people, three being children. Mm. And um, it was just it was an incredible experience. Our our sons are now teenagers and they loved living on board the ship. They love the, the they yeah. love it. Yeah. And and the fact that they a I mean, they're being exposed to all these different countries they're getting to visit. B, their peers are from all over the world. I mean, their best friends are from South Africa and Chile and from, you know, Germany. And so it, it was actually kind of cute because our kids, John being from Australia, me being from America, we speak English as a family. We only speak one language, but a lot of their peers spoke two or three different languages. And so um, our little twins that we had, that we have, um, they had decided to kind of make up their own little funny language because they wanted <laughs> to feel like the other kids that could speak multiple languages. So 
I, I would say that there aren't a lot of families on board, but it's usually those that are in leadership would come with their families. Well, it is the love boat, but with divine purpose. Is that is that is that what I'm hearing here? Does this does this ring a bell with you, Bianca? Was uh, did you notice that there were a number of uh, of uh, singles that were falling in love while on board serving God? Well, OM is Operation Mobilization and um, Operation Marriage. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, there's been lots of Facebook um, photos of lots of weddings since. We've been on board and we've actually been to the, the States to attend the wedding of a couple that met on and got married after mm. they left the ship. So definitely something that may happen on board. <laughs> That's just wonderful. And Bianca, before I let you go, uh, yeah. over the, the years uh, I've discovered that one of the most important skills to have working in Christian mission is actually to be a school teacher. And uh, you're a, a living example of that because uh, you've been able to use your teacher training to be used in mission because all of those families on board were relying on someone like you to to uh, to teach their children. It is something that is very special being a teacher and being involved in mission, isn't it? Yes, very true. Yeah. But then on, in saying that there's lots and lots of roles that are needed on the mission field, so God can use anyone. Okay, well, Bianca, thank you so much for calling in and uh, offering your input. Really appreciate that today. No our, our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation. Let's take a call from Rowan in Perth in Western Australia. Hello, Rowan. Welcome along. Hi. Rowan, what are your thoughts? Oh, wonderful memories have been triggered by John on a number of scores. Um one was um, my parents were mis- Methodist missionaries in Nigeria, and dad a surgeon, mum a nurse, mm. and uh, dad also spent some time in the Côte d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast. Fantastic. And um, I'm in Perth and have been for some time. And when my church group, as a youth group, we went to visit Doulos, and mm-hmm. I hadn't seen mm-hmm. dad for many years. And he he came off um, Dulos, and uh, they'd just come from Honiara, um, Solomon Islands, mm. um, and uh, Dulos had went to Solomon Islands because there had been some injuries on some incidents that had happened in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of connections there. And it's just brought some wonderful memories back, and I spent uh, a night on board. Fantastic. And I was in the galley, mm-hmm. uh, chopping onions <laughs> and, uh, and carrots. Peeling potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a, an interesting little dynamic we have as well. Of course, we have our, our full-time crew and staff who live and serve on the ship for a year or two. Uh, but we have other opportunities for people to get involved as well, and something we call the, the step uh, short-term exposure program. And so that's a three-month opportunity for people to come and test the waters, as it were. But then mm-hmm. beyond that as well, we have, as I think I understood you were saying, we have uh, local port volunteers as well. So in every port we visit, we always have uh, more work to be done than people actually serving on the ship. And so we open it up while we're in any given port uh, for local mm-hmm. believers to come and serve alongside us. And whether that's in the galley, chopping fruit and veggies or uh, Helping out yeah. with the cleaning work or down in the book fair uh, with the local language, especially when we're in a, in a different non-English yeah. context. We have that local help for the language and translation for events. So, yeah, so it's mm-hmm. a wonderful uh, a mix of, of people on board at any given point. And I think you yeah. know, we have about... And, 
400 yeah. serving on the ship at the moment, and we represent about 60, 65 countries. Uh, so right now, the ship name is the Logos Hope. And so as mentioned a little earlier in the program, we're in the Caribbean region this year, uh, trying to bring hope from shore to shore, as we say. Uh, and we're uh, in Montego Bay, Jamaica at the moment. So, Of course, the one we've been talking about is called Logos Hope. You might have caught earlier we were talking about Logos Hope just leaving Kingston, Jamaica, on their way to Montego Bay. It's like a ship which is the biggest floating book fair and doing wonderful ministry work in the ports that they stop at. You can be a part of our conversation. The talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's come back to the floating book fair. Uh, The sort of books that are on sale, now they are for sale, uh, but I imagine there's a mix of new and second-hand books that are donated. Uh, How does the book fair look, John, when you're on board, and how many books are there, and and you know, how, is it like entering a like a big, uh, you know, big uh, open area that people are just wandering around, looking around the bookshelves? Yeah, well, it, it would probably feel much like any bookstore. You'd walk onto the ship, you come up a gangway, and then you come into what we call our welcome area. There's a little bit of an introduction video and a welcome aboard, a little information, and then you move into the book fair. So you're actually on one of the decks of the ship. Uh, we call it the visitor experience deck, uh, or deck four, as it's known internally, because it's the fourth deck of the ship, and it's just a whole deck that's open to the public to come and, and wander through and take a look at the books. Uh, actually, the books are all new. Uh, we call them they're they're called remainder stock. So we a uh, majority of those are sourced in the U.S., and our office in South Carolina is kind of the primary hub where all those books come in, and then we have volunteer teams that come and do work with us onshore there to sort them and get them ready to ship out to the vessel. Um, and they're, yeah, they're remainders, so they're from big bookstores and, and other places selling books. Sometimes they're the books that, you know, they haven't sold for whatever reason. Sometimes they're the return books. Someone bought it and decided they didn't want it and bring it back to the store. So those are collected up and put into these big, huge cardboard boxes of mixed titles, and so we're able to purchase those at just a fraction of their, their retail value. And then we put the volunteer labor into sorting them into the like titles and, and organizing it. And then we get it out to the ship. And so at any given point, we say we have about 5,000 different titles available on the ship. Uh, a lot of good Christian uh, literature, devotionals, of course, Bibles and Bible study materials, uh, different Christian living books. Uh, but then a big selection of educational books as well. And there's a company called McGraw-Hill in the U.S., and they donate to us uh, a lot of their textbooks that aren't the current version but the previous version as they change. You know, textbooks are constantly being updated. So we get all those, and those are made available on the ship as well for people to come and purchase. And it's actually interesting. In, in many of the countries we visit, these will be the, you know, the latest thing available because they haven't got all the other titles already there. And so I remember somewhere in the Caribbean a while back, you know, where the island knew we were coming, and their school system actually waited for the ship to come so they could refresh their, their school's uh, textbooks from what we had on board at that time. Uh, and so, you know, you really do get huge crowds. And I think back to our time in Asia a few years ago, we were in Anping, Taiwan. And on one day, we had almost 29,000 people come through the ship. Um, and we see not that high a number regularly, but often, you know, many thousands. And in Kingston, where we just were, we would have, you know, five to 10,000 coming through in any day. And, you know, they wait out in the sun, as I mentioned, in hot sun, waiting to just come and have a chance to have a look at these books. But then, of course, you know, books are a part of it. And the you know, we do sell it at, at very low prices, and that just goes back into keeping the ministry going financially. Of course, running a ship is, is an expensive operation, um, so it's sort of a, a little bit of self-funding. And that provides about 30% of the income uh, needed to run the ship. And then each of us working, serving with the ship, 
Uh, we are financially sponsored by churches and friends and family, and so that what we call personal support would be another 30% of the income. And the rest is you know, kind of larger giving uh, from, from major donors and people like that who are able to, to give it a higher level. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, still an interest in books, and you know, the printed word is, is still like gold in many contexts. So. Well, oftentimes we'll have a focus on the Bible and encouraging people to read the Bible and study the Bible, right. uh, but books that are written, Christian literature about the Bible, and a lot of guests that people will listen to on the program, uh, this program, uh, are people who've written books, and it's it's got a, a Christian foundation to it, a Christian mm-hmm. worldview. Books have a wonderful capacity to shape lives. Right. And uh, you've seen some wonderful fruit, too, of lives that have been shaped, according yeah. to uh, to just having this uh, this new, new body of knowledge that they've had access to because of your ministry. Right, exactly. And one key story that jumps to my mind is uh, we were in Sri Lanka a little while ago, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And we had the privilege of, of meeting a man uh, who shared his story with us, Mr. Pubalan. And uh, he recounted that when he was a youngster, a child, he and his family, his mom took him on board our first ship, the Logos, back in, I think it was the 70s. And he came aboard and, you know, I, I don't even think they were believers at the time, but they went around and, and his mom ended up buying a book by, I think it was Oswald Smith, I think it was, the man, the, the man God Uses was the title of the book. So a Christian living kind of book. And it sat on their shelf for many years, he said. And then I think as a teenager, he picked it up one time and read it. And that just transformed his life. And he really, you know, was on fire for the Lord. And it turned out when we met him again, he was actually the, the president, I think it was, of the Colombo Theological Seminary there in Sri Lanka and just leading an amazing work, training up the, the next generation of Christian leaders. And, you know, and he really attributes some of that, at least, uh, to this simple little book that his mom had picked up and had sat on a shelf. And that's, you know, something we often see is that books, even if they're not not read right away, you know, they can have a huge impact in, in years down the line as people pick it up and read it later on. Bibles and Christian literature and Holly, where you were in Kingston, you were with uh, Kingston uh, just uh, recently. Of course, uh, we've noted that the boat is now on its way to Montego Bay, uh, but uh, you're in Kingston and and there was a huge lot of books that were selling in Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah, uh, Kingston, Jamaica has historically been one of our busiest ports. People will stand out in the sun for, you know, six hours just waiting to get on board. And it's just amazing to see. Um, in fact, one day I got to go out into just the streets and we were inviting people to the ship and we just say, um, oh, come see the Logos Hope. And they'd look at us kind of like, hmm. And I'd say, oh, the bookship. Oh, the bookship. Yeah. Is it here? Okay. We're going. We're going. People are so excited about the bookship. But the thing that I personally love is that through all the years of the ministry that OM Ships has done, the Bible is always the number one bestseller. And when the ship was in Kingston, Jamaica, seven years ago, we were on board as a family at that time. And for every minute that the ship was open, we sold a Bible. That's how many Bibles we were selling. People are still hungry for the Word of God. And so that's just always exciting to see. That's thousands and thousands of Bibles yeah, uh, over thousands the course of that thousands. couple of weeks. Absolutely. And yeah. of course, people sometimes, I'm amazed because people wonder, well, what are people writing about the Bible? But uh, but the Bible speaks into every dimension of our lives mm. and the sorts of books that you'd have available. And you mentioned there's textbooks, but the, no doubt there's all sorts of books that speak into the practical daily lives that people live. Uh, these are the sorts of things that are probably popular as well. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, it's all all variety of different things. And yeah, definitely a lot that are just practical, 
skills and hobbies and interests and you know an anecdotal story i don't have all the detail or anything about it but you know heard of a a guy who picked up a book on on auto mechanic work uh, on the ship somewhere in east africa and then years later we turns out he had started up his own little garage business and was you know making an income and a livelihood for his family through just having this book that gave him the knowledge needed uh, to to take on a practical skill and to serve that way so it's books do make a difference and you know many of us now where we jump on the internet as our first uh, way to find information, but that's still not available everywhere as freely as we enjoy it. And Holly, when you've got teams on board the ship, uh, they're going out into the community, uh, there's part of churches, uh, uh, the activity that goes on in supporting churches, uh, an evangelistic activity as well. This sort of thing uh, is an important part of what people do on board. Absolutely. And and one day a week is designated for a ministry um, either on the ship or going on teams that go on shore. We have teams that go into the countries months before we go, and they ask the local churches, what do you guys need? How can we help support you? How can we work hand in hand with you? And um, according to what they say is what they will organize for those ports. And I remember one time when we were in Guyana, um, they were really saying, we have a need for a dental clinic. And so I got to be part of a team that went kind of really inland, you know, into areas where they wouldn't have um, resources to go see a dentist. And we set up a little dental clinic in a church. And we had hundreds of people coming. And there was one boy that I remember, and he came in. And for some reason, he had stains on his teeth. And it had caused a lot of embarrassment. He'd been teased and bullied, bullied about these, these dark teeth that he had. And, um, and the dentist was able to make a solution and kind of remove the staining from his teeth. And I, I had the pleasure to meet and pray with the people after they had seen the dentist. So the dentist walked this young boy over to me and he said, I just want to tell you that he had stains on his teeth. No matter what he tried, he couldn't get it off himself. He had to get someone else to remove the stain. And I thought, oh, yes. So I got to explain to the boy how it's the same with our sin, that we all have sin and we can't remove the sin that we have, but that what Jesus did for us, he paid the price so that he could remove the sin and how not only could he have clean teeth, but also a clean heart. And through just sharing some Bible verses with this boy and showing him he received the Lord as his savior. And I, I told him that because he just kept smiling because his teeth were so clean now. And I said, every time you see your reflection, you need to remember that not only are your teeth clean, but so is your heart. And it was just a beautiful story. And occasionally you get an opportunity to follow up on on some of those people that have been led to Christ and uh, just monitoring along how they're progressing in their faith. Absolutely. And that's actually something that just came full circle for me. Um, And this was really neat. As I mentioned, we had been on board as a family um, about seven years ago. Um, and the ship was in the Caribbean at that time. And then just recently, three weeks ago, I was on board Kingston, Jamaica, one of the same ports we'd been before. So there's ministry going on on shore, but also on the ship, the deck four that John mentioned. And when we were there seven years ago, I met a lady named Shauna. She came to the ship every single day. As soon as it opened, she was there on board the ship. 
and she would stay until it closed. And the next day she was there again. And so I ended up meeting her, meeting her children. She had this little baby and a toddler and a, and a seven year old. And, um, so we just really were many of us as crew on board were pouring into her life and just, you know, kind of loving on them. And then I realized that the ship would be leaving soon. And I thought, she's really going to miss the ship. What's going to happen when we leave? And so I just asked her, I said, Shauna, um, you know, the ship is leaving soon. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I just, what is it? What is it about the ship? Why you've come every day? And she said, well, I feel like there's love here, but I feel like it's maybe it's God's love. And I said, yeah, that's right. It's God's love that you've experienced here. And, but I want you to know that that's not something that's only on the ship. That's something that you can have all the time. That's a love that you can experience personally every day, even after the ship leaves. And so I remember holding her little baby girl and just um, being able to open God's word and showing her um, you know, what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and have relationship with him and experience God's love. And she committed her life to the Lord. It was really sweet. Um, well, when I knew that we were going to, that I was going back to the ship just three weeks ago, I wrote to her again. I said, Hey, I'm going to be there. You know, I'd love to see you and catch up with you. And she came and she brought 10 children with her because she wanted them to experience the same thing she had experienced on board the ship. She's had a rough couple of years, but she still loves the Lord. And it was beautiful to see the little baby that I had been holding was now a seven-year-old little girl. And the toddler was now a third or 11-year-old girl who loved Jesus. And so it was just, it was so sweet. Is it fair to say that everyone on board will have stories like that to tell, uh, whether they're doing those mundane duties or whether they have some higher duties on the ship? Is this the sort of thing that this is the stories that people take away with them because they've had interaction with various ones who've had come to the ship for, for whatever reason? Absolutely. I think pretty much anyone living on board has has at least a handful of stories that they could just pull out at any moment. Um, something that was really hard for me when we left the ship, we're still working with OM ships in a more administrative role, was that on board ministry is at your fingertips. The opportunities are always there. All you have to do is go down a flight of steps to the public deck and you're meeting people and, and the ministry is just there always. And that's something that is a little harder to orchestrate in your normal everyday life. Um, so it's just really very special. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our special guests this hour, John and Holly Crow. We're talking about the work of OM Ships and the mission that they're involved in and uh, Operation Mobilization. Uh, John, just quickly, context-wise, the ship's ministry is really just a small part of what's happening in the overall because there's something like 3,000 missionaries that are operating around the world in so many different contexts. Some of those not so dangerous, some of those in very dangerous places. Yeah, I mean, OM has really come a long way in the 60 years since it was first founded, uh, and it began as a literature ministry. Uh, the original founder, George Verwer, took a, a truckload of books down to Mexico, and that was his vision. That's how it began, and it just grew from there to summer outreaches across Europe, uh, to working, you know, in through the, you know, past the Iron Curtain into Russia, and, uh, yeah, just kind of grew from there. And now, as I mentioned earlier, we work in 110 different countries around the world, plus on this ship. And often the ship is the very visible part of the ministry that people will see and are aware of. 
but there's many, many others working very hard day in, day out, uh, trying to take the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And I'm excited. Uh, OM as a whole recently kind of refocused ourselves, and we've adopted a new mission statement uh, that uh, says that we want to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers among the least reached. And that's really something that we're all rallying around uh, as our different pieces of the puzzle of OM. And in particular, I was recently at some meetings in Costa Rica. I'm, I'm part of an international team of leaders for communications and marketing work for OM, and we, we come together once a year. And we were in uh, Costa Rica this year on purpose because of uh, the Latin America part of the world. And uh, OM Latin America is really refocusing their efforts and kind of coming together alongside this new vision to see what that looks like in their context. And we work in 13 different countries in Latin America currently, and they've all had various uh, ministries within the country doing different things. And a lot of it's very good stuff, uh, but they're purposely deciding to put some of those either pass them on to the local church or or to other mission groups to take on because it doesn't really fit into this vision and direction that we want to go now. And, you know, that's bold and brave to do something like that. Uh, but it's exciting for me to see that kind of commitment. And we're excited because the ship is actually, after our year in the Caribbean in, in 2017, uh, we're going to spend at least two years in the Latin America region. So we'll sail uh, into Central and South America over the next two years. And uh, just a huge potential there. And for the Latin American work of OM, uh, they're trying to send, uh, I think it's 2,000 mission missionaries from Latin America to the least reach. And they've actually narrowed it down to, to 13 countries in the world where they uh, see different people groups that are still unreached or least reached. And they're purposely trying to send Latins into these countries. And they're excited uh, because Latins, because of their their culture, their skin color, their, their uh, different things really fit in well in many of these countries of the world. They can just go in and, and look the part and where, where I would stand out as, you know, as a fairly light-skinned person, uh, Latin Americans would really just fit right into some of these contexts. And, you know, as soon as they can learn a language, they can get going and, and really be a light uh, in this part of the world. And so we're excited to see that uh, beginning to take shape and that clarity coming. And that's happening across the whole of OM's work as well. I'm constantly amazed at the amount of strategy that goes on behind the scenes and uh, to hear it as those things are unfolding with Operation Mobilization. Very, very exciting. So, Holly, if people were interested in being aboard uh, the ship as it goes into this new phase, uh, South America, I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. I'm not sure you might know what ports will be gone to, but is this uh, is this a sort of a... Uh, testing the waters for mission. Is this a great place to to actually test the waters maybe for the first time? Because if there's uh, thousands of missionaries around the world, uh, many of those might have come through uh, being on board an OM ship. Is this a way that people oftentimes uh, get a little bit of a, a taste of mission without actually maybe being in maybe more dangerous places? Yeah, and I'm actually so glad that you mentioned that because that was one of the things I came away with this last time I was on the ship. I was so impressed by the young people on board, the exposure they were getting in the different countries and the opportunities they were given. And to see that now, I mean, we joined for our first time 20 years ago. And now to see people that we were on board with, as you know, when we're all young, younger, um, are now field leaders in countries around the world, or they've gone on to form their own missions organizations because they something was ignited on in them while they were on board the ship. And so it's it's kind of a training ground for leaders in world missions. It's incredible to me to see this. And so this is a, a wonderful opportunity. Um, we were on board the ship the last time it was in Central America. 
And um, I have to say it was my favorite part of the world that that I've been to. And I just love the ministry and the passion that goes on there and just um, the the love for the Lord. And someone was telling me that if you look back in, in the history of kind of Central and South America, that there were these times where there was just kind of a revival and and people were ignited and, and coming back to the Lord and that those were actually triggered by the ship's visits to those countries. And I just I, I find that amazing. Well, there is an exciting future, and I know you'll have sparked uh, a fair bit of interest. I suspect there'll be listeners visiting your website to find out more details. There's lots of things that happen. Lots of Aussies are a part of what happens with Operation Mobilization. And, uh, of course, being on board uh, these ships, an exciting way to have an introduction to world missions. Uh, The ship we've been talking about is Logos Hope, and uh, it's about to head to South America very shortly, uh, probably not too long after its visit to Montego Bay there in the Caribbean. Uh, the website I want to pass on is uh, is the Australian site for Operation Mobilization. It's om.org.au. That's om.org.au. Lots of things happening. There's even a camp for teenagers that's happening in southeast Queensland in Gatton. It's called Teen Street. Uh, if you've got teenagers, if you live in the southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales area, it might be easier for you to get your teenagers to it. Teen Street, it's on uh, not too far away. Uh, you'll be able to find that link there on the om.org.au website. Uh, to you, John, and to you, Holly, thanks so much for taking some time to share your hearts with us today on 2020. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you you so much for having us. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.